If you're looking for health food, there's no sense wasting time at a greasy burger counter. If you're the Air Force looking for innovation to ensure you can win the next war, your traditional aerospace contractor might not be the place either. That's according to Lieutenant Colonel Dan Shoney, Chief of International Law at 12th Air Force at Davis-Monthan Air Force Base, Arizona. He joins me now, and Dan, I guess we should start by saying you are speaking personally, not on behalf of the Air Force. That's right. I like my day job, so I don't want to mess this up by, by uh, purporting to speak for the Air Force today. Okay, well, we'll make sure you keep that day job. But I want to start with the conclusion of an article that you had written for Air and Space Power Journal, in which you conclude that the DOD's current approach to buying innovation is schizophrenic. What did you mean by that? Well, what I meant by that, and I, I find it kind of surprising, um, because there are a couple of different strategies that are out there in the Department of Defense for buying innovation. And one is public-private partnerships, which is just kind of longer-term partnering deeper and longer partnerships with incumbents, basically, or with or with not just necessarily incumbents, but say, whoever the hottest technology firm is out there, name, name the company that, that's the, the top right now, Apple, Google, whoever, form a long-term partnership with them. That's, that's kind of one strategy. And then the other strategy is open systems architecture. And there's been a lot that's been written about that in the last 20 years, that we need to basically disrupt vendor lock and have arm's length transactions with a lot of different firms and not just be locked into just a few of the firms that we've been comfortable with for a long time. And what was surprising to me as I started researching this is no one seems to have noticed that there's, you know, these are sort of mutually exclusive, especially if you're trying to pursue them at the same time on the same contract. It's just amazing to me that no one has noticed that before. It seems to me very obvious that you're either having arm's length transactions or you're partnering, but you can't really do both. And you make the analogy of early players in the personal computer industry, say Microsoft, which established a platform and then 90% of all of the innovation that came to work with that platform did not derive from Microsoft. And it sounds like you're arguing the DOD could become that kind of platform and let the innovation happen from which they could pick and choose. Exactly. I mean, the idea would be that the the DOD would, would be a systems integrator, sort of like Apple or Microsoft, and there would be all of these different software providers that would come in or chip makers that would come in and provide the components or the software that are needed for DOD systems. Open systems architecture, the idea would be that, like I said, that the Pentagon is the systems integrator. The engineering is plug and play, and so I buy my components from Temin Aircraft or from Boeing or from Airbus. I can swap out my wings, my, air, my engine, my avionics, as better or cheaper options come along, I don't have to keep coming back to you for 30 or 40 years to build my airplane. But that applies across the whole range of weapon systems. Well, what's the difference between open systems architecture and simply saying this is our requirement, something that flies and puts a missile here, and just putting it out for open competition? Well, again, the problem is if, if it's, it's kind of the scale that we're buying at. Am I buying from Temin Aircraft? Am I buying a whole airplane from you? Or am I buying, say, the engine? And if I buy the whole aircraft, the problem is if, if one thing becomes outdated or if I want to upgrade or if I want spare parts, I'm at your mercy because it is your intellectual property. You own the whole airplane. I have to go through you. So we can put it out for competition, but the problem is I'd have to start all over again. I've got to build a whole new airplane. I've got to find somebody else to build me an airplane to replace yours. When I really just want a new engine, or I want new avionics, or I want new wings. I want something that's, that's changed, that's cheaper now, that's available, but I have to go through you. We're speaking with Lieutenant Colonel Dan Shoney. He's Chief of International Law at 12th Air Force at Davis-Monthan Air Force Base in Arizona. But let me just play devil's advocate for a moment. Take the an Air Force platform, the B-52, 
which is many generations old, and it's like Washington's hatchet. Every single part has been replaced, except it's still the original. And many, many vendors have participated in upgrading the engines, I guess, upgrading the avionics, rebuilding the whole structure, not just the original OEM. No, absolutely. And, and I don't mean to say that the Air Force hasn't or the DOD hasn't used open systems architecture. Sometimes we have. GAO has written several studies on this. I think the Navy is actually doing the best job with open systems architecture. So sometimes we're doing that. But sometimes we're buying whatever the, the weapon system is, we're buying it, and then we're stuck with the original vendor. To me, the question is between this idea of public-private partnerships, where the idea is to form even deeper and even longer-term relationships with one vendor. And whoever the technology leader is today, it's just the way things work. I mean, Clayton Christensen has made his career out of this, talking about the innovator's dilemma. Today's technology leader is not going to be today's technology leader in 10 or 20 years. And so the idea of locking in a relationship with Google so they can build his autonomous systems, whoever may be the leader today, that's just a terrible idea for us in the long term because better innovations are going to come along and the DOD ought to be more nimble in being able to form contractual relationships at arm's length so that we can move from one contractor to another and not be so, not be so locked in. And so what is required for the community in DOD to get to that point? It sounds like there's a big cultural change that might be needed. Well, I think there is. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there will be a lot of people who disagree with me, but I think there's, there's the, the problem here is the – one problem here is the principal-agent problem. What's in my interest as a DOD employee might not be in the taxpayer's interest or the government's interest. I mean, I want to go home at 5 o'clock. I don't necessarily want to have to investigate 100 new companies. I want to go with Tom's firm. I know you build me a nice aircraft at a reasonable price. Why am I going to go out and look for at 50 other firms who might – you know, build a slightly better wing or a slightly better engine or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, there's a cultural problem, but it's a very natural thing that my interests personally are sometimes going to be in conflict with my organization's interests. And so, yeah, I think I think it is a cultural problem. And if you look back to the range of innovations that happened back in the 70s and 80s, which everyone that seems to follow these things in the military agrees that the United States is losing the edge it gained in that era – of stealth and of guided missiles and so forth. And during the Obama administration, they called it pursuing the third offset. That word may have gone away, but I think you indicate the Trump administration is pursuing the same thing. I guess the question is, how do you know what you want in the first place to create the population for that open system? No, that's a great question. So several dimensions to that question. How do you know what you want? Well, I think the DOD basically knows what it wants. But it's not building that technology anymore. I mean, the DOD, this is, the, the innovations that came along in the 70s and the 80s were because of enormous invest, investments in research and development in the 50s and 60s during the height of the Cold War. So the DOD just isn't investing on that scale anymore. The private investors, there, there's the, the innovation that the private sector is doing is coinciding with what the Department of Defense wants. Things like robotics, artificial intelligence, autonomous systems, big data, three-dimensional printing, Go down the list. These are all things that have defense applications. They're already being done in the private sector. So to duplicate that in the Department of Defense wouldn't make sense. I mean, the question is is not whether to engage with the private sector. Everybody sort of knows it's uh, the public just isn't willing to invest in what it would take for the DoD to independently start its own uh, to do as much research as, as is being done in the private sector. So there's a lot of overlap between right now research interests in the private sector and what the DOD wants and needs. And I guess my final question would be, how then do you maintain the advantage over the long term? Because the 
so-called near-peer nations, it took them many, many years to even come close to what the United States enjoyed as an advantage for a generation. But if these are all in the open systems, they're all being developed commercially, that means everybody can have the same technology and everyone can nullify everybody else's version of it. And so there's, where's the advantage? That's a great question. Um, I think the advantage is still in the military applications of the private sector innovations. I mean, there's still a, a gap there between the two. They're not instantly, uh, Google's innovations are not instantly transferable into military applications. So there's still, there's still a gap there that the Pentagon and defense contractors would, would fill. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is to get to the latest innovations, there's just no way the defense industry can keep up with the innovations in the private sector. I mean, take, there was an example in The Economist last month that was perfect, but it talked about the iPhone, the, the smartphone. It wasn't invented by a firm in the telecommunications industry. It was invented by a computer company. And, and that's the way it's going to be for the defense industry as well. Tomorrow's innovations for defense are not going to come from the, the defense industry, typically. They're going to come from other firms that are newer, nimbler, and have new ideas. And that's what the Department of Defense needs to tap into is the latest technology. Lieutenant Colonel Dan Shoney is Chief of International Law at 12th Air Force at Davis Monthan Air Force Base in Arizona. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Find a link to his Air and Space Power Journal article and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.